0: Chargers, Chargers Unleashed, Sebastian Joseph Day, you know the vibes, we outside.
1: You're listening to the Chargers Unleashed Podcast with your host, Dan Wolkenstein and Jake Hefner. Welcome to another edition of Chargers Unleashed. Jake Hefner and Dan Wolkenstein here with you from the LA Football Network. Today's show, of course, being brought to you by Bet Online, Charger Bull Family, Rock Solid Sports Memorabilia, and Liquid Death. If this is your first time tuning in the show, make sure to hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Dan Wolkenstein, it feels good to be coming on here, talking about a technically it's a Victory Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Four weeks in the books, Chargers are finally back to five hundred with a victory over the Houston Texans. In typical Chargers fashion, it was not without some nail biting. It was not without some stress. It was Pom not a little sweaty. Palm sweaty, not without sitting on the edge of your couch, I'm sure. So they had to make it interesting because then it just wouldn't feel like a Chargers game. Obviously, we couldn't. We could. Who who needs a blowout, right? Who really wanted a blowout? So why not make it interesting? of sort metal. And almost give up, you up you know a huge substantial lead into the fourth quarter. It's why would you want the conventional type of football game like that? I don't know, but the Chargers seem to always want to do that. But any in any regards, Chargers are back in the win column. Sitting at 2 and 2 in the thick of the AFC West. They're still in this. You still get another win under your belt. Justin Herbert looked much more improved from a week ago. This offensive line, which we will definitely be talking about, looked much more improved than it did a week ago. Hello, running game. That's a little bit better. That looked a little bit more like it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So overall production, again, not a flawless game by any means. There are still some things to critique, both offensively and defensively. But long story short, Chargers get the victory back at 2-2. Dan Wolkenstein, take it away. 34-24.
0: Chargers escape Houston, get redemption, get the victory. On to Cleveland. Again, impossibly without... Obviously, without Deshaun Watson, possibly without Miles Garrett. We'll see. Um, big win. Again, one game back for the division behind the Kansas City Chiefs, who steamrolled over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jake, there is so much from this game to unpack. This one might go a little long, I'm not sure. Obviously, we have to get back to the Charge and Leash hotline. 323-374-5651. We've got a voicemail there for that, for that that we gotta get into here in a bit which will get your take as well, Jake, live, because you haven't got a chance to hear it yet. Um, Jake, I I feel like the reaction to this game was kind of interesting in the sense that, like, Chargers win. They win by 10. They cover the spread. Everything's good. Now, was it a little stressful? Sure. But it's as if, like, the Chargers lost the game, and folks are finding reasons to still be pissed off at somebody. I'm somewhat blaming you because you're part of the pessimistic crowd. That's fine. But it's gotten me a little on edge the last few days, Jake, to where I've gotten a little trigger happy Mm -hmm. on Twitter. And I'm not going to stand for some of the slander that you're seeing out there. So I challenge folks who are upset with folks like Joe Lombardi, who are upset with folks like Sonny Michelle, who are upset that Tom Telesco, whatever, please go back watch the game again, and then come talk to me. I get feelings are high. But we're getting into all the positive, negatives, keys, all of the exciting takeaways, game balls, that kind of stuff from this past victory. Again, victory Tuesday. Here we are. Uh, Jake, I'm parched. I have not yet had a chance to go out and get my tall boy of liquid death, but I need to. I have have been sustainable. I got this big-ass thing of water here. But I want to try the sparkling one. Um, tell us about our friends over liquid death. I, could you have a can in front of you?
1: I don't have the can in front of me, unfortunately. I drank, I drank my surplus of liquid death over the past two weeks, and rightfully so. I was parched a lot of these days, so I needed some hydration. And as Dan mentioning, if you go into your local Ralphs, your Albertsons, your 7-Eleven, your Kroger's, depending on what side of the states that you're on, Go pick yourself up a can of liquid death. Again, they may look like tall boys that are hidden in the Gatorade slash water section of your local supermarket, but don't be deceived because that's not what it is. Liquid Death, new brand of sparkling water that is out there, comes in three different flavors in regular, in mango, in lime. Um and as far as what they're doing from the recycling standpoint, as far as what a lot of their contributions are going to in terms of uh, the recycling of plastic goes, it's a great cause that they ultimately are doing it for. And as Dan says, just for yourself, it helps murder the thirst. So go out <laughs> and get yourself uh, a can of Liquid Death. Also go on over to liquiddeath.com slash LAFB. Tell them Chargers lease sent you and go get yourself hydrated. Yes, stay hydrated, my friend.
0: All right, Jake, so Chargers win 34-24. First half of this game was very nice. I think you saw lots of Chargers fans enjoying it, sit back, relax, feed up, enjoying a nice brew, whatever it was. And you're looking at this team, you're like, who is this? You're seeing all kinds of misdirection, all kinds of play action passes, that are going everywhere. Seemingly, lots of things are working. Mike Williams is getting involved. DeAndre Carter. Michael Bandy. Hello, Michael Bandy, is getting involved. You're seeing Austin Eckler go off. Hello, Austin Eckler. Welcome back, RB1. Three touchdown performance for you. You're seeing Joshua Kelly improve. You're seeing Jamari Sawyer at left tackle. Absolutely big boy. The entire Houston Texans defense had, I believe, the highest-rated pass-blocking grade in the NFL Last week for active tackles, yes. <laughs> what <laughs> world are we living in? I don't know. Justin Herbert's doing Justin Herbert things, and defense was looking pretty good that first half without Joey Bosa. Gave up seven points. Saw multiple sacks. Got interception from Nazir Adderley, which we'll get into the not so good parts of Nazir Adderley. But um, unfor- unfortunately for the Chargers, you know it's it's four games of football or four quarters
1: of football that yes. you have to play. <laughs>
0: Yes. So, generally speaking, that first half went almost as well as it possibly could have. What well, we're kind of. I Me mean, first off, I, I think we have to start this with Jamari Sawyer. For how little that kid had to prepare for this for this game, and for him playing guard his entire time during training camp, preseason, blah blah blah. Yes, he did it in college, but. Given the stakes, given who he's up against, given kind of the time frame, what you saw from Jamari Sollier just throwing guys around like ragdolls, giving up zero pressure, zero sacks, I don't think anybody could have or should have expected a performance that good from a sixth-round pick, albeit a steal, sixth-round pick who is picked to be a guard, moved over to left tackle, took over the spot for Storm Norton, Chargers fans rejoice. Like, when I saw this happening live, Jake, I'm looking at this and I'm like, this can't be real. Like, this guy was falling because Rashad Slater's gone. Obviously, big deal. But if you could have a performance like that from Jamari Sawyer in half the games, quarter of the games, and just be average the rest...
1: I was actually speechless watching this. What did you think? Well, hang on a second. Before I get into this, let me just set myself in the right mood.
0: Oh, Jake, I don't know. The backwards hat is a little interesting. Oh, that
1: feels that there's, feels better. that feels normal, Jake. There's that feels Jake. normal because oh, I couldn't recognize you before. Look, I've been both optimistic and pessimistic with my hat this way. Sorry. That's just that's just how it goes. With I love that's, the strap in the front. I have a stab very good. That's how I like to do it. That's how I like to do it. Anything I have, else? No. No. I just prefer my hats backwards. That's all it is. Okay. Here we go. So, Jamari Sawyer, first of all, last week really sparked everything when the announcement came down that he was going to be announced as the left tackle.
0: Credit where we were, credit
1: is due. I honestly did not think that Brandon Staley was going to pull that trigger, and I was very, very surprised that he did. I thought all things considered, at the best case scenario, he was going to flip Trey Pipkins to the left, insert Storm Norton back to the right. He was probably feeling like he was gonna go with his more experienced guys, even though <laughs> the the workload thus far for one individual had not warranted that. We've and, seen
0: enough. We've seen yes.
1: Enough. Yes. At that point we had seen enough, especially after that Jacksonville game. So Staley has enough confidence to make the bold move that people were hoping for and takes his six-round rookie, Jamari Sawyer, puts him in at left tackle, and I know that we said last week, Dan, that you shouldn't expect the moon. You shouldn't expect the Rashawn Slater type of output from a six-round rookie going into his first game, no matter who the opponent is but we expected that it was at least going to be better than what was there the week before. And I got to tell you, I mean... Color, color me shocked to see that type of output. I never would have expected to see Jamari Sawyer's name at the top of pass blocking list among active tackles. That's in the same breath as the Tristan Wirfs of the world. That's in the same breath as the Trent Williams of the world. That's in the same breath as the Lane Johnsons of the world. I mean the Rashawn Slater's of the world. Yes. Even though we know he wasn't playing, but still, yes, that's what he does. Yes. That's what he did. It was a Dan. It was a, he ended up having to push a little bit further. Ninety-seven percent efficiency in his pass blocking. Like what? For a six-round rookie who is slated to be your future guard, you couldn't have asked for a better performance than this, Dan. The just to take in a microchasm. There was two blocks in particular that I saw that just were awesome. First, the third and three, which was ultimately the touchdown pass to Gerald Everett in the end zone. Great footwork from him. Kept that defensive player at bay. Then, I think it was later in the second quarter, if I remember correctly, pass rusher decides to come on the inside of Jamari Jamari Sawyer. And he just takes the guy and just keeps him moving to the right. And just totally clears out. Puts him on the ground to the right um you couldn't have asked for anything better than this and he talked about it after the game as far as what a great support system that Rashawn Slater has been to him. I'm sure just through training camp throughout this week, especially getting him ready for for stepping into this position. So you obviously have the teamwork and camaraderie there from Rashawn Slater. I like the interview that Daniel Popper did after the fact in which he reported that through training camp, Sebastian Joseph Day was really building him up. saying like, dude, you're a a big mother. You're a big mother. And And he would just laugh and kind of humble it off. And he's like, no, dude, you really are a big mother, you know? So, I mean, he's a big boy. He's got that. He's got a prototypical body that you want from a starting guard. And yes, he will be the future guard of this offensive line sooner rather than later, but to have him step into this position oh, when you only technically, I mean, still good for college standpoint, you, you know, you, he wasn't completely inexperienced. He played 20 starts at Georgia at left tackle. So he knew somewhat of what he was doing. Yes. But to do it, In this type of situation, all the elements considered, hats off to the coaching staff for making this decision, and by far, hats off to Jamari Soller for absolutely perfect performance. You can't
0: ask for Now, I think the the macro of that, Jake, and this is kind of what got my brain moving, was, okay, so (laughs) if that's what we're going to get from the left tackle position, realistically, Production-wise, the thing we're going to be missing is Joey Bosa. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The Rashawn Slater, it's a big injury. I, I can't minimize that. But from a production standpoint, going from Rashawn Slater to Jamari Sawyer through one week is not much of a difference. Now, will that play out the rest of the season? Honestly, probably not. I have a hard time believing Jamari Sawyer is as good as Rashawn Slater. But the drop-off there is not going to be nearly as, I think, drastic as I think folks were fearing. Again, we're one week in. We'll see. It goes up against much better defensive pass rushers here in the, few weeks, in the next few weeks, so we'll see. But if the Chargers can generate the pass rush they did this past week without Joey Bosa, and they can get the left tackle production that they got from Jamari Salyer while Rashawn Slater's out, the sky is falling. This team's crippled. We're never going to get healthy. Like, that kind of goes away a little bit. Like, am I am I crazy for thinking that way? Like, I know I'm the optimist. But, like, you didn't miss much from Rashanthi not being there this past week. Well, let's On the look, field
1: Again, it, there's... It was a good first step for Jamari Sawyer. Very encouraging to get that type of output. But... This is one of those type of scenarios where you're kind of going to have to take it on a week-by-week basis. And from the Chargers' standpoint, looking at who they're going to have to be playing over these next several weeks, you know, if you could get this to a point where your offense can sustain for a long period of time, I know that the Chargers have not officially placed Slater. I think you had mentioned this to me, Dan. They have not officially placed him on IR as of yet. Uh, Yeah for context references torn biceps to pit depending on the severity the minor ones take at least 10 weeks to heal. So obviously this probably puts him out easy for the rest of the regular season. So if the Chargers can make well, a case for a for a he,
0: playoff push. Last couple weeks I think is like week 17 week 18 I think are the
1: possible return dates. Right. Again, right. It's, it's but, like, like chance but yes possible. if if you i mean again if that's just the minor injuries are a minimum of 10 weeks we don't know the severity of where this could be so mm-hmm. you probably won't see Rashawn Slater the rest of the regular season but if you could put yourself in a position to make a playoff run now it gets interesting would you, you questions s-
0: would you put would you put Jamari Sawyer then at left guard see
1: i know you asked me this offline it's an interesting question and I'm going off of what the coaching staff would do in this scenario. Is it what I would do? I don't know. I know that there has been a lot of criticism over Matt Filer over the last couple of weeks in terms of the pressure that he has given up. But to me, as much as I can't wait to see the combination of Rashawn Slater and Jamari Sawyer playing next to one another, because that is some Girth on the left side of that line. Don't get, I mean, damn! But to me, I feel like that would just be another change in offensive line continuity. Again, I would I would hope that over the next several weeks, things are going to be corrected with Matt Filer. I think a lot of pressures that were that he was responsible for over those last couple of weeks, or technically week and a half. Uh, was not having, was an element of not having Corey Lindsley there. And so defense is kind of keen into that. And they were able to get inside pressure, not just on him, but on Zion Johnson as well. The Jacksonville game, you know, still didn't look the way you wanted it to look. So I hope that that is something that can be built upon. I think he only had, ended up having two pressures allowed for this game, which was the highest, which if that's the ceiling that we're going for. Okay, that's great. That's that, fine. That missed block that he had was... Yes, that's something completely different. That's something completely different. But you'd hope that that would ultimately end up improving. And if you have more continuity, even with Jamari Sawyer at left tackle, you hope that that could be improving in some regard. So if it were me and it came down to that decision, I don't think the coaching staff would make that choice.
0: I know we're getting way out ahead of this. I know we're way ahead of ourselves. We're not even at week five yet where we talk about playoff rosters. But... Um, Jake, over or under, if you took the under on 48 and a half for reception yards for Michael Bandy, <laughs> you must have lost a lot of money. Michael Bandy, welcome to the NFL. Two huge, huge catches, both seemingly from out of nowhere. The guy's wide open. We're going to talk about him in a second, but. Our friends over bet online, if they put the spread at 49 or 48 and a half, they could have gotten a ton of money from people who bet the under, which you probably everybody would have bet the under on that. Because like it's, it's hard. For, you wouldn't have thought like everybody got 50 would, yards. You would have think that everybody would have bet the the under on that? On the yards, if it was like five catches. I would probably say, all right, People might bet the
1: over, or whatever. But like, it,
0: you don't see Michael Bandy. Dan, would of yards. you
1: though? Would you? Because I remember how excited, and I remember the tweets that were put out when Michael Bandy was elevated from the practice squad. So I would
0: have bet the under on fifty yards. You would have bet. I would, the have
1: under. Be, I would have bet the over on targets. Okay, For sure. All right, that's but fair. Anyways. Well, either way, Michael Bandy, two great contributions in that game. Absolutely. Yes. So
0: um, speaking of over under, Jake, our friends over at Bet Online. Uh, we got to talk about them too. Got to pay the bills.
1: Yep. Football is now we're headed into week five of the NFL and bet online remains your number one source for all of your football betting needs. This season, you'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends over at bet online as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head on over to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. So, Jake, Michael Bandy, two receptions, 49 yards.
0: One goes for 25 yards. One goes for 24 yards, both at the end of the se- of the second quarter, excuse me. <sighs> one, how refreshing was that to see Michael Bandy get used? Two, how is Michael Bandy always so wide open? Three, and this is by the more important question, did he secure a spot, do you
1: think, for week five on the roster active? Now, hang on, Dad, Before I answer that, I'm going to turn... I'm going to turn this back around and I'm going to be nice about this for the remainder of the show.
0: Oh, 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 we get this. Oh,
1: so is forward hat
0: nice Jake and backwards hat. No, no, no. Cause I was okay. very
1: complimentary of Rashawn Slater with the backwards hat. So, okay. you know, I'm kind of just appeasing the masses. Maybe even try something a little bit different. Who knows? I still prefer my backwards hats. What can you say? It's very rare. There's probably only two episodes on Chargers Unleashed ever that I have never worn a hat.
0: If and- you didn't know, there might be some subliminal messaging happening here from folks in the comments, but who knows?
1: Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but I like wearing a hat when I do the podcast and I prefer wearing it backwards. So sue me. Anywho, Michael Bandy. Uh, did he elevate himself to the... 53 with this performance. You know, it was interesting, Dan, because just before he was elevated last week, it was Jason Moore that was elevated. And we thought, okay, so this is going to be who's taking up the reins for the Jalen Guyton situation. Okay. And then we hear, obviously, that Keenan Allen had aggravated his hamstring a little bit. So unfortunately he got downgraded to out for this position. So now you had to get another one. So of course you elevate Michael Bandy in terms of snaps and targets. uh, Michael Bandy kind of blew this one out of the water. And I think he made it academic as far as who Justin Herbert has more rapport with. And maybe that's one of the more interesting aspects of this entire thing.
0: Have Jason Moore ever gotten 49 yards receiving an NFL
1: game? I don't recall over the over the number of years that he has been with this team. I can't recall. We're not talking about a preseason game. We're talking about an NFL game. I cannot recall that. And I know he was part of the six receivers that were part of the 53-man roster back in 2020, but that was only for a short period of time. He
0: had playing time last year, for yes. sure.
1: But anyways, Michael Bandy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is anybody surprised that on both of his catches that there was not a defender within 10 yards of him when he was making some of these catches? And the crazy part was, Dan, is that he was making these out wide. This was not a short little dump off. I mean, Herbert was throwing these things down the field, down the field, right along the sidelines. So the biggest question mark for him is obviously the size is automatically going to cater you to work the middle of the field to work the slot. Possession. Possession receiver. Yes. And with Keenan Allen, when he is healthy, and if you have DeAndre Carter in this lineup, and obviously what you know, the scheme that Lombardi likes to take Mike Williams on some of his routes and the way that they use Gerald Everett in the middle of the field, you know, it kind of shuffles Michael Bandy down the priority list there a little bit. And I understand that. How far down?
0: I guess that's what I'm getting at is Jason. I think he overtook Jason Moore.
1: I mean, I I definitely would disagree with that. I definitely wouldn't disagree with that. So, King Allen,
0: Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, drake Carter. Are
1: you I doing mean, Jason Moore, or are you doing Michael Bandy? I'm doing. If, if it's me, I'm doing Michael Bandy. I've been on the Michael Bandy train since preseason. Let's go! And I'm not about to go off of it now, especially with an opportunity like that. And he cashed in for two big plays that were awesome in the first half led to a touchdown, led to a touchdown. one another one set up a uh, a field goal toward the end of the of halftime um so yeah i i truly do and again why would you not want someone that could get that that wide open and if we're talking about a Again, let's take a, still take a wait and see approach based on this coaching staff's game plan. But if this was any indication that you're going to make this more of a short game with Justin Herbert, given you don't have your normal blindside protector, given the fact that he's still nursing fractured rib cartilage, albeit it didn't look like it <laughs> last Sunday with the way that he was moving around, if that is your plan, then Michael Bandy, I think, is tailor-made for how you're going to be utilizing yeah. this offense moving forward. So, in my opinion, yes, he wins. And insert him into the starting lineup, and I don't care if Keenan Allen is h- active and healthy and ready. Say, Uncle,
0: say, Uncle, did you see how pumped up Brandon Staley was after that first reception that he had? He ran right up to him, slapped him on the ass, was so pumped. I it was
1: Chase Daniel that did that as well. <laughs> Was was Chase, I know it's, Chase Daniel I, I, was like right there on the sidelines. So I think I it was good come,
0: come up afterwards as well. Um, he, that's the kind of performance. Again, it's just two catches, but that's the kind of performance to give as a wide receiver five to get fifty yards to prove that you should be in this game. Whereas, by the way, was there anything from Jason
1: Moore? Was he was hurt? Correct. I, mean, I don't, know I don't, I don't recall. Him. I don't recall him being hurt. I thought there was. He had four targets, and his 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 one target that was actually going his direction was the intentional grounding call that was called on Justin Herbert. That was still just weird from no, from a literally penalty standpoint. No
0: footprint on the stat sheet or the game, if we're being honest. Um, and I know stat sheets don't tell the full story. Um, a couple other positive things before we get into kind of the second half, Justin Herbert. Does Justin Herbert things? No one could really be surprised at this point. I think he has the, I forget the number, but he has the most, he's tied for the most consecutive 300 yard passing game on seven, the road.
1: Yeah, seven games of 300 yards passing
0: on the road. And his next game is in Cleveland, which on last the time road. they played <laughs> Cleveland, Ooh. he went for like 396 or something crazy and three touchdowns. So like, pretty good company 113.2 passer rating 90.5 qbr two touchdowns no interceptions 340 yards passing for a guy with rib cartilage issues and then austin eckler three touchdowns the old austin eckler was back you saw how pumped he was at the last touchdown that he got which we'll get into here as we get into the second half um overall mike williams Hello, earning all of his paychecks. Seven catches, 120 yards, and a couple of deep shots that were going his direction just didn't get converted in Gerald Everett. You saw him get that catch for the touchdown up the middle of the seam route. What are the Eden Doritos off the helmet? Uh, you gotta love that. I love how they're using Gerald Everett, by the way, Jake. Uh, making both of us look very smart. Um, transition. We're going to get into the second half. I know this has
1: been rosy for too many people, and Jake, I know it's been uncomfortable for you. It's It's weird being positive for (laughs) about 20 minutes with me. I'm just waiting for the hammer to fall. And
0: hammer to fall, here it comes. Uh, That's a queen reference, isn't it? It is Um, a queen reference. Nice job. You like that? So second half, everyone's feeling so good. Second half comes in, and the tide kind of turns. It feels like slowly at first, and then it just snowballs. Chargers get the first, I think the first possession of the second half was you saw two just crushing feeling plays happening. One was the screen pass to Austin Eckler that had like 40 yards of green grass in front of him and three blockers. Matt Filer couldn't block the guy in front of him. Austin Eckler goes for like a two yard gain instead. And then right afterwards, Jalen Everett passes a catch Defenders on the ground. He had wide green grass ahead of him as well. Chargers are punting. Defense comes back, three and out. Cool. Chargers defense. I don't know if it's right, not three and out, but forces a punt. Comes back, Chargers offense. Then uh, this is when things started to get a little sticky. Um, so, Jake, why don't we use this time? Bring back Chargers Unleashed Hotline. Again, three, two, three, three, six, four. Right, 374-5651. You could also text Unleashed to 31032. The first Chargers Unleashed hotline voicemail of the 2022 season. Let's hear what Chargers Truther had to say about this game. What up, y'all? Chargers Truther. Talking to you after this win. Uh, we looked great in the first, and then it started to get super, super scary towards the end. You know, um hate to see our games always get that close. Um, when we're winning, let them come back like that. But nonetheless, huge, massive win to uh, put us back to 500 um, and put us in the hunt. We're only one game back. Um, you know, we're on track still. We've got uh, hopefully a bright future ahead of us. At the end of the day, though, if we don't make playoffs, we got to fire Tom to Uh This is a <laughs> results-driven league, and uh, it is what it is. All right, Bolt, uh, let's, let's uh, go on a run here.
1: What y'all? Charges truth. Okay,
0: so, all right, so he had to slip that one in there at the end. It was like
1: eighty percent encouraging, positive, and then that last twenty percent of the call was just, "What if you fucked this up?" <laughs> you <laughs> know. <like, "Arr!" laughs> Charges truther. Thank you so much
0: for calling in again. 323-374-5651. 3, 3, 3, 5, 5, you can have your voicemail read or listened to and reacted to live on the shows. As we go forward, give us your takes, reactions, feedback, whatever it is. Um, so Jake, a few things from there. One, is it a Chargers game? If it's a blowout, like I don't even, it's not even worth it calling it a Chargers game. It has to be a nail biter. Exactly. You have to see implosion and then you have to see someone hopefully step on the gas, foot on the throat and the right. game. Dogs
1: and cats. Living together, mass hysteria, that equals a Sunday of a Chargers game. It has to do that. That is the prerequisites of a Chargers game. Are you kidding me? You're not going to see these Buffalo Bills 45-3 to blowouts with this team, unfortunately, even though they actually have the talent to do it, believe it or not. You won't see that because us as Chargers fans, our Sundays are not foretold or blessed to be calm no. and exciting. No. They are meant to be stressful. They are meant to be nail-biting. They are meant to make us sweat and put wrinkles on our face from and frustration. It happened. And it happened.
0: Yes. So, I, I, I want to get into this because I think there is a lot to kind of take away and to dissect from the second half of this game. Because I think most of the feelings post-game came from the second half. Where you saw Chargers give up chunk chunk plays which i believe jake you and i are talking about three straight weeks they've given up rushes of 50 or more i believe that's gotta stop that trend for sure
1: heading into this next week
0: this time damian pierce gets a 75 yard touchdown run take that away jake though he's got 55 yards on 13 carries 56 yards excuse me 56 yards 13 carries that's good that's fine But you add a 75-yard chunk play, unacceptable. And on that play, Nazir Adderley had a horrible, horrible angle. But there were probably three guys out of position on that run. They got to shore that up. You can't have that. Then fast forward, you had, I think it was Nico Collins, who had like a 55-yard catch, 58-yard catch, excuse me, uh, from Davis Mills, which was a rocket. Had that between, I want to say it was DeZere Adderley and J.C. Jackson, I believe.
1: Yes. I don't know if there was miscommunication, if J.C. was expecting Noss to come over the top. It looked similar to what
0: we saw, I want to say, versus Kansas City. It looked almost identical to that play.
1: Yes. Very,
0: very close to that. So, you you had chunk plays there. Brandon Cooks was largely held in check. Just seven receptions, 57 yards. Nico Collins, other than the 58-yard catch that he had, only had, I think it was 24 yards on two receptions. O.J. Howard two catches, twenty-seven yards. Otherwise, like the the defense, honestly, other than the chunk plays that gave them easy yards, like easy touchdowns, the defense actually did pretty good. You saw Jerry Tillery all of a sudden get a sack, huge play to force the fumble, to force the the field goal attempt. Uh, how the Chargers did not get that fumble recovery, Jake? It felt like half the Chargers defenders touched that ball. Late, I think it was late fourth quarter. Didn't get it. Or sorry, late third quarter. Um,
1: they don't ever get those ones. No, they don't um, ever get those ones.
0: So, but what I do want to discuss, Jake, is you know at the end of the day, you know the wheels kind of fell off a little bit. You saw the DeAndre Carter fumble on the kickoff return that took away another offensive possession for the Chargers. But when it mattered most, the Chargers were on that drive at the end of the middle of the fourth quarter, basically slammed the door made it a 10-point game, and kind of the rest was history. So I will pose this question to you, Jake. I'll also pose it to folks listening, watching, and please give us comments and the feedback. Why, Jake, did the Chargers offense look so porous, seemingly, in the second half from a production standpoint than it did in the first half?
1: Well, safe for two drives, the first drive, which obviously was negated by poor blocking, by unfortunate drops, which killed that drive, and then you finally get to the last drive, which put the linchpin on the game with the Austin Eckler touchdown. You go back, in Dan, and you watch the first half. I thought Lombardi's play calling for what he had. I thought Staley's commitment to getting the run game going, and deservedly so, against a Houston Texans defense that has given up over 200 yards rushing per game. That was the smart thing to do. They made the game short, but Lombardi was very, very creative. With a lot of play action, with a lot of bootlegs that Justin Herbert was rolling out. Why? Because he had plenty of time, was able to open up the middle of the field, and he was able to get some of those chunk plays, A, to Michael Bandy, B, to Gerald Everett, and C, to Michael Williams that you saw throughout that first half. For some reason, in the third quarter and part of the fourth, they decided to kind of go away from that save for that first drive that Dan mentioned with the Austin Eckler screen that really should have been a first down and then next play, the Gerald Everett drop, save for that drive. They got away from play action. And and to be specific,
0: to be specific, there were two other drives in that game before that final drive. Correct. Because there was a last one, very nothing happened, but there were basically one, two, three, four drives in that second half. The first one, the last one, we're not talking about those second two. Those
1: second two in the middle—that's kind of the the brunt, I think, of this discussion. Right. So, bulk of the passing yards, you, Dan, give me that total passing yards again that the Chargers had for this game. Three hundred and forty yards from Justin. Hurst. Okay. Majority of that, save for the last drive, was in the first half because I remember this. I can't remember the exact stat it was, but I remember when it came up, the difference between the first half and the second half, up until that point before the last drive, the Chargers had something like 59 yards passing in <laughs> right before the, their final drive. And they got away from play action. They got away from some of those bootleg passes. They were trying to open up holes, which to the Houston Texans credit, were making adjustments. And it was short game, short game, now let's throw a bomb on a third and five pass, which You probably didn't need to do that. You got away from the play action, so you weren't confusing the defense that was going to open up some of those middle of the routes that you guys were winning on in the beginning of the game. Dan, this is why it's so frustrating. and Obviously, your defense wasn't doing you any favors when your offense decides to stall, giving up Big chunk plays. You mentioned the Nico Collins one. Of course, the Chargers would give up the first touchdown to a wide receiver that the Houston Texans have gotten all season. Three weeks in, not one single wide receiver for the Houston Texans that scored a touchdown. But when you play the Chargers, there's a lot of firsts that usually end up happening against that team. So it neither the offense or the defense was really helping themselves in that circumstance. Finally, obviously, you were able to clamp down. And I'll tell you this, Dan the Chargers got lucky on two occasions throughout the game because you had the fortunate drop from the Houston defender in which Justin Herbert did not see him come over and literally threw it right in the bed bread basket. It wasn't able to hold on to it. Then you had the play that was close to the goal line that was play action. Joshua Palmer accidentally hits the ball out that thankfully the Chargers are able to recover their own fumble on. So, I, take, I bring that up because we ultimately know what happened with the DeAndre Carter fumble off the kickoff. So you can't afford these little unnecessary mistakes. And when you have an offense that is going, 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 why are you taking your foot off the gas? Dan, like I said, this is why it's so frustrating. Whether it's in the Staley Lombardi era, the Anthony Lynn, Shane Steichen era, whether you go all the way back to the Mike McCoy, Ken Wizenhunt area, this is a continuous trend to where the Chargers can build up a lead of, say, 20-plus points, and by the end of the game, it's like the wheels start to fall off, and they're allergic to continuity. Dan, in my opinion, the Chargers are one of the few teams that they could go on the lot of a Lamborghini auto shop pick out a brand new Lamborghini, take it home. And by the time they get it home, they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to take this apart because I don't trust the radiator. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get it. And this is why so many people are frustrated because we've seen this too many times, even through different coaching regimes. And this is where the national narrative come f- comes from, where the Chargers almost Chargered, but thankfully, this time, they didn't. Okay, so... Uh,
0: people might not like this segment from me. And I will fully acknowledge that I am not going with uh, the sheep on this one, or the herd, if you will, on the narratives that have come from this game. So you heard folks in their feelings, especially midway through that third quarter, talking about like how... Lombardi sucks. Lombardi took his foot off the gas. Lombardi is such a, uh, he's such a terrible play caller, and they can't take shots down the field. And why are they utilizing Justin Herbert's strengths? And why aren't they going deep down to Mike? Michael- okay, so Jake, I went back and I watched every single play of that second half from the Chargers' offense because I heard so many people either in their bag about Joe Lombardi. About Brandon Staley, about Sony Michelle, about where's Josh Kelly, about why are you throwing deep downfield, and I wanted to see like, wait, how much of that is just emotions, and how much of that is actually an issue? So again, of the top of the series that mattered. Again, I'm not counting the one at the end of the game where it's literally just four kneel downs and then they gave up the ball. Like, not- I'm not counting that one. They had four, four offensive possessions series in that game the first one i wouldn't say was an issue with lombardi that was the eckler screen and the everett drop i don't blame lombardi or sony michelle or anyone for that one the second possession of the chargers second half they had three straight snaps to sony michelle led to a first down you had a play action pass to mike Williams down the field for 20 yards then Michelle and Eckler both had minimal runs. And then there was a deep shot to Mike Williams that went incomplete. So you saw a deep pass from Justin Herbert to Mike Williams. You saw a deep pass on play action completed to Mike Williams. You saw Sony Michelle get a first down on three straight possessions. And then two runs from Eckler and Michelle turned into a third and long that was not completed. Putt. Then the Chargers give up huge play, give up touchdown. Chargers get the ball back, pass to DeAndre Carter, short one again. This is the third series for the Chargers offense. Pass to DeAndre Carter. Sonny Michelle had a run for six. Which, by the way, Jake, I don't know what happened. I have to go back and watch, but I think the stat line shows Sonny Michelle only had eleven yards on I think it was six carries or something. I don't know how that's possible. Like I don't know if he had like a negative yard run for ten yards, but like. I saw from when I was watching it, he had like a five or six yard run at least twice. But if you to look at the stat sheet, it says his long was four. I have no idea how that happened, but whatever. Um, so pass to John Carter play one. Then he had Michelle run for six. He had Sonny Michelle catch for a first down out of the backfield. Austin Eckler had a negative run on first down. And then the drive stalls around the 40 when Eckler and Joshua Kelly both have incomplete passes. Now that drive, that third possession, that's the one that I could see folks having an issue with. That one really didn't get out of the backfield other than the small short pass to DeAndre Carter. Otherwise, it was run it was run or catch for every play going to your running backs. I get that one. I can see people upset about Joe Lombardi for one drive. Cool. Okay, fine. The next one was negated because the DeAndre Carter fumble in the kickoff. So that was taken away from them. The next one was the great one, the fourth down conversion on fourth and Staley. You saw third down conversions to Mike Williams multiple times, Austin Eckler get going, everything was great, blah, blah, blah. And then the game's over. So I think, and Jake, you and I kind of talked about this. There were people that were in their feelings about Joshua Kelly not getting snaps in the second half. And I believe he had one pass target to him in the second half. And he saw Sonny Michelle get lots of, lots, I'm putting lots of air quotes, get more targets than him in the second half. And I think he ended up in the game with three more targets than Joshua Kelly. Now, Jay, I'm going to ask you this. Big deal, little deal, no deal. Joshua Kelly getting less snaps
1: than Sonny Michelle by three. My question is if your game plan if your game plan was executed the exact same way in the second half literally if you just took all all of the same plays let's just focus on that one drive that you were talking about Dan that just really didn't go anywhere if your ultimate plan was to go short game try to keep the run game going and try to make things positive again up until this point even before Austin Eckler's resurgence if you look at the first 3 weeks Statistically, Joshua Kelly was your best running back and, in truth, was the person who got your run game started against the Houston Texans before Austin Eckler just took it from there. My thought process is, why are you all of a sudden deciding to change personnel like that? So all of the 17 reps that Sony Michelle got started really in the third quarter and went throughout the duration of the game. You go back and you watch that first half, Dan, there is a nice, healthy mixture and balance between Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly. There's even two back system formations that they are on there. Obviously, Austin Eckler ended up having the most given the production that he was getting. But still, I think part of it to me also brings into question what a lot of people have also said. Do you mean to tell me that Isaiah Spiller couldn't have a final stat line of that? Not to say that you would all of a sudden decide to go to him for a majority of the third quarter, but what are we doing here? If it it really came down to Brandon Staley saying Isaiah Spiller needs to beat out one of these three guys, you mean to tell me that he couldn't get that type of a stat line? Obviously, I don't think that the Chargers would have gone to him that much if he was on the field, but I think that's where a majority of the frustration is, Dan. It's Going away from what was working for you, not just from a schematic standpoint. With Joshua Kelly, you mean? Whether it's with Joshua Kelly, with Austin Eckler, what have you. Because you saw that finally on the final drive. Those play-action passes came back. The beautiful bootleg, literally the same identical play on the fourth down conversion that sprung Austin Eckler. And then ultimately the same play again that sent him into the end zone for the touchdown. That was the play action calls that you had a nice mixture of going to a variety of different targets in the first half that for some reason, from the third quarter into half of the fourth quarter, you kind of just went away from it. and you decided to switch up that personnel and that type of play calling. That is where a majority of the frustration comes from. And again,
0: just to be clear here, we're talking about a frustration on a... From a from a personnel perspective, we're talking about frustration with your RB three getting three more snaps than your RB two.
1: It's it's not even so much as of of a snap count. To you, it's not. So, because you're talking macro, three more snaps. I'm talking about a majority of those snaps came after you had a twenty point lead that was on the backs of other players. And those 17 snaps came in consecutive series when you couldn't really get much going. So if those 17 no, snaps were no. spread out throughout no, 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 all no, no, four corners... No.
0: We're not doing fake news. We're not doing fake news.
1: That's we're not fake news. Not <laughs> fake news. <laughs> no, it is. Did he, was he inserted in the offense after halftime? And was a bulk of his snaps inserted after halftime? That's That's real. But you said that he did okay. not produce, which he did. Did he produce as much as number 30 did? and who was but producing no, for you consistently? But we're talking about an RB3.
0: Like we he got a first down through the air and on the ground. Multiple third down conversions.
1: I'm simply your are your your question to me was we are we are making a big deal about him having three more snaps yes. than Joshua Kelly. Big I'm deal, saying, little deal, no deal. I'm saying it's where those snaps came from, Dan. And okay. at what point in the game that they came from. If we were saying that Sony Michel had 17 snaps throughout four quarters, that's that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm wondering why did a bulk of those snaps when you had a 20-point lead when how you got there in the first place that was working for you, you decided to take certain personnel off the field at that point in time and a bulk of his snaps came in that window. Okay, so that but my que- was my question.
0: Okay, but what I will pose as the question to everyone is why are we upset when it worked? Did it? You Go back and watch. I challenge everyone go back and watch and tell me it didn't work. That
1: he was the reason why the offense sputtered. I'm, that I'm him not being st-
0: inserted into the game was the reason the it offense is sputtered.
1: Not, it's not simply because of that, Dan. And that's what I was trying to specify. It's not simply because of that. It was your it was your play calling scheme that you had set up for what you were going to do in the second half.
0: Now, could they have gotten that if they had sustained longer drives? Like if for example, if Everett caught the third down pass, if Eckler actually sure. got more yardage. Yes.
1: That's 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 all Substantial. I understand that you probably we were probably having a different conversation. If that's the case, I'm not talking. And Joshua about Kelly, that first... I
0: guarantee you, is playing more snaps. If those, I'm two not talking.
1: I get it. I'm not talking <laughs> about that first drive after halftime, and I'm not talking about that last drive that ultimately sealed the deal. I'm talking about that window in between. Is that overall, not just from personnel, but from your whole game setup plan that you had. You went away from what was working, and then it's once it finally became a three-point game, then you decided to pull out that creativity again, and it looked much like it did in the first half again. And look what happens—you yes. put up seven.
0: Fair. I will say, um, shout out to and again, like it, it sucks because like there there were some very good p- plays from this Chargers defense, but then there were some very negative plays from this Chargers defense and. I'm not quite like Asante Samuel Jr. Again, had a pretty darn good play. Got beat by Brandon Cooks with a touchdown, but uh, still, like, was there all game? You saw Derwin James doing Derwin James thing. Sebastian Joseph Day is starting to flash a bit more now. Jerry Morgan Chilhery, Fox, Morgan Fox just came on the show last week. If you haven't got a chance to listen to that, go back and watch or listen. Uh
1: talks about needing to play pissed off, and they did exactly that. PS, I, I really liked I mean, it was it foolproof? Was it working all the time? No. I really liked the way that Kenneth Murray was being utilized in this game as far as hammer because normally that's Drew Tranquil's job to be rushing up there and hitting the middle. And, hey, you know, maybe you would have gotten better production if that was Drew Tranquil. I'm not going to make that type of argument, but I like the fact that they're getting creative enough to use Kenneth Murray like that. So he wasn't able to get home, but he has, has, you go back to the Raiders game. Is a great highlight of him coming in on the same type of play and putting someone on the ground. So I like the fact that they are utilizing him in that type of way. Nasir Adderley finally got his his first interception of the season. He caught it. He caught he, it. He <laughs> caught it, but then later in the game, he had a couple things that he needs to, to fix. Out in the forward. flats just, on the on yes. an island, not yes. a good look. No. when you When you had Rex Burkhead right there, to tackle him and negate a continuous drive from the Houston Texans, totally whiffed on the tackle. And then obviously the bigger one, the Nico Collins throw, that ultimately he was hoping. And the run. And the run that gave up to... Yes. So, yeah, definitely not flawless on either side of the ball. But I think the overarching theme of getting back, as you said, Dan, and as Morgan Fox said to us last week, getting back to a pissed-off type of defense even without a Joey Bosa, that looked better. Mm -hmm. That looked better. Jerry Tillery had the fourth fewest snaps
0: of any defender. Right behind him was Christian Covington. And, And again, credit where credit is due. That was arguably one of the biggest plays the defense had the entire game was that Jerry Tillery play. So, I guess that means he's safe for the rest of the year. I don't know. I don't know what that means.
1: Look, <laughs> your your defense had to respond after not being able to sack Trevor Lawrence the week before. And the announcers were alluding to it that the game was really won from the as far as the control and the turnover big plays that really okay. shifted the momentum in the game. The trenches and the Chargers defensive line they were the ones that were winning consistently. You weren't getting that from the opposite side. The Chargers offensive line was able to stand tall in this game. So, like you said, Khalil Mack, big-time presence from him on the Nasir Adderley interception and then ultimately on the fourth downplay mm. that they ran that he totally got Davis Mills in the backfield. His presence was felt big time, Sebastian Joseph Day, Morgan Fox, you start winning up front like that. And if you can find creative ways to get guys like Chris Rump, who had a pretty good from a pass rush win rate day, not bad. But if you can do that consistently and have to, because you're going to have to, you're going to have to come up with creative ways in order to generate a pass rush when you don't have one of the best in the league on the opposite side of you for a while. But that was a good start. You just need to take away the self inflicting mistakes from defensive coverages. And obviously, I'm sure DeAndre Carter is kicking himself for dropping that ball on the, on the kickoff and putting them in an even tougher position.
0: Yeah, and that, I guess two things. So, one on the DeAndre Carter special team stuff after this, so he got lit up, fumbled, and then I believe it was the next kickoff return, same thing, got lit up again. And he got up, and you can tell he's a little bit pissed off. I don't know if he was pissed off at the coverage team. I don't know if he was pissed off at the blocking, but something wasn't right, because you watch him get up after that second kickoff return after he got blasted. He was upset with somebody. I don't know who. And I think that's kind of what Stead, He was not expecting that hit to happen, which, honestly, I thought was like a helmet-to-helmet, helmet, that first one. I thought it was targeting, but what do I know? Um, but honestly, looking back at this game in totality, it's, it's interesting. You see, after the game... Brandon Stanley gives game balls to Austin Eckler and Jamari Sawyer, obviously well deserved. But I, I love that, like, game balls or performances like that from Justin Herbert are just, like, essentially like chalk at this point. Like, that's not a game ball. The Mike Williams, seven for a buck 20, whatever, like, that's not a game ball. Like, a couple weeks ago, Brandon Sandy gave out five of them. <laughs> and then yesterday was like, no, just two.
1: Look, they're. There was more ridiculous throws that Justin Herbert made in this game. Obviously, with everything that Austin Eckler did, it kind of overshadowed it a little bit. But the pass that he made to Bandy, that was I think it was his second catch that went right along the sidelines. The fact that he rolled out to his left and literally flat-footed, backing up, and then throwing this thing down again, mind you, with fractured rib cartilage, was just another one of those type of throws that is just... Insane from the arm strength that Justin (laughs) Herbert displays again.
0: So, ho-hum,
1: seven seven consecutive games on the road with 300-plus yards. It's pretty damn good. Not a big deal at all. Nope, not at all.
0: Uh, And then last one, Jake. So, you mentioned Kenneth Murray. Um, Very different-looking player these days. Now, is he he filling up the stat sheet? Is he blowing things up? Is he getting all these crazy plays? No, but he is not. He's doing the right things, which I think is so exciting for me. There was one play in particular. I don't know if you saw this. I think it was him out in the flats. I want to say it was either a running back or wide receiver who got the ball out in the flat. And Kenneth Murray previously would just beeline, go directly to to the offensive player. The offensive player would go run around run around him and then go up for ten yards. This time, you saw the ball go to the go to the receiver, and Kenneth Murray runs right up to him, stops and reacts to whatever the, the offensive player does, tackles him right there. I want to say it's like a two-yard loss. You did not see that from him at all last year. So that was kind of the smarts that you're starting to get from him. And I love the way they're utilizing him to his strengths. Like, the dude is a physical presence. So use him as a battering ram. Just go crazy on the interior of the offensive line. Like, go for it. And look what it's doing. So uh, overall, tons of positives. Obviously, there are negatives, which we got into. But... Look, the Chargers won. They went two and two. They're now two and two, one game back in the division. Kansas City Chiefs are one game ahead of them. Chargers have the Browns coming up. We'll talk about that on our next episode. But that probably should be a win. <laughs> now, though, the Browns' running game will beg to differ. But again, we'll get into that. But like, considering how things went. First part of the season, he went up against the Raiders, went up against the Chiefs, he went up against the Jaguars, who Jaguars aren't looking too bad right now, and he went up against the Texans, came out 2-2. Two and two. Like, could be better. Could have been worse. Um, I think they weathered the storm. Good bounce-back performance from the Chargers' offense for the most part. Again, they put up 34 points still. Like, let's be real. Uh, Jake, any more kind of key takeaways that you want to discuss on, on this one um,
1: before we go into it? No, you just hope that from an offensive play calling standpoint that this type of trend can continue, Dan. I'm I'm all about making this game shorter as long as you're putting up seven in the end zone and scoring points. You know, if if it's if, if for everybody clamoring for Justin Herbert to be throwing it downfield, you know, if he could do it, obviously love to see him do it. Is he going to do it? recklessly. No, I would hope that he's not going to just throw it up to throw it up in double coverage and possibly have it come down for an interception. But if you, if you can get Keenan Allen back and this type of system that you can come up with with this short game you can have Michael Bandy remain on this roster as well and come up with the potential that you can get Austin Eckler out in space. The way that you're utilizing Gerald Everett through the middle of the field, the way that you're utilizing Mike Williams through the middle of the field. If you can make this game about creating separation with your receivers and just picking defenses apart by 10 yards at a time and ultimately putting seven in the end zone, that can be a winning formula. Yes, it can. It does not have to be the deep cannon passes that we would love to see from Justin Herbert. It doesn't have to be that way, especially with an injury like this. It's going to be lingering for a long time, so let's not forget about it. I know that it didn't seem like he missed a beat or was feeling any time of lingering effects this last Sunday, but let's just remember. We are talking about a little bit of a shaky offensive line that thankfully got better on Sunday. So the best thing that you'd want to do to nullify an opposing pass rush like that is get the ball out of your quarterback's hands like that. So for the most part, about 75% of the players. Good game plan. I don't want to come back next week and be talking about the (laughs) clean-up
0: Fair enough, fair Don't enough. break
1: down the Ferrari when she works.
0: <laughs> fair enough. All right, Jake, uh, let's close this one out. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Chargers Unleashed. I know this is a bit of a long one, but there's lots to get into, lots of Kate takeaways and some feelings that we had to get into. Love that we got back to the Chargers Lease hotline. Again, 323-374-5651. Give us a shout. Let us know. We'll have you on the next episode. Guys, thank you so much for Jake Hefner, his forwards, his backwards, his optimism, and his pessimism. You can find him at Jake T. Hefner. Myself, you can find at Dan W Sports. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time on Chargers Unleashed.